Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, September 3rd. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. So last Friday, the big question was, what will Jerome Powell say? Today, the big question is, how many jobs? The August employment report will come out today, and markets are going to swing hard one way or another based on those jobs numbers. If we get a lot of jobs, gold's probably going to sell off again, and and the stock market might just do the same. Why? Because everybody will take that as a signal that the mythical Federal Reserve taper is going to start soon, because, of course, all of these central bankers have said the employment numbers are a big factor in their decision-making. But if the number of jobs comes in below expectations, gold might get a boost. That would be an excuse for the Fed to continue its crisis mode monetary policy a little bit longer. The over-under here is 720,000 new jobs in August. That's the uh, expectation that we're hearing. Now, if the ADP private payroll numbers are any indication, you might want to take the under. The ADP report yesterday came in at 374,000 additional people added to private payrolls. That was far below the expectation of just over 600,000. Then again, the ADP number was weaker than expected last month, too, and the Labor Department claims the economy added over 943,000 jobs in July. Despite that, we still got a really solid Labor Department report last month, so maybe the ADP is not the best predictor. But I would say, arguably, it's more important. I mean, that's my bias anyway. I, I think a private sector job is better than a government job. You know, it's interesting to look at weekly jobless claims. The headlines yesterday were pretty rosy. The, uh, they touted the most recent numbers as the lowest level since the early days of the pandemic. Okay, so what does that mean exactly? Well, first-time jobless claims totaled 340,000 for the week ended August 28th. That was the lowest since March 14th, 2020, when first-time claims totaled 256,000. So that was, you know, kind of the beginning of the big job losses uh, because of the government shutdowns. So the great news here is that weekly jobless claims are still 32% higher than they were in the early stages of the pandemic. And if you go back to February 2020, it's even worse. The four-week average on February 27th of that year was 209,750 weekly jobless claims. So we're still well over 100,000 jobless claims every week above what was normal before things started shutting down because of the pandemic. Now, I'm actually running late this morning because my life is complete chaos right now, Um, and uh, the report for the Labor Department should come out any second. So I'm going to pause here and we'll do like live breaking news. Of course, by the time I get the podcast produced, it won't really be live and breaking, but uh, we'll go ahead and wait for here for a minute and see what the numbers end up being. And uh, yeah, so this will be like breaking news. Here we go. Hold on. Do the news. Okay, so I just saw the first tweet. Total non-farm payroll employment rose by... 235,000 in August. Woo, that's a big miss. Remember, the consensus was for, what did I say? Uh, about 720,000 is what they were expecting. So 235, that's big. So you can expect to see the uh, gold probably going to rally by now. Um, and uh, we'll probably 
see some of the taper talk slow down even more. So there we go. Big, big miss. That's very, very interesting. Um, so now, of course, you know, I'm totally lost because we've completely hijacked the show here. Um, you know, either way, let's let's set the jobs report aside. All of this tightening talk is way overplayed, right? It's just talk. I mean, certainly at some point, the Fed is going to slow down quantitative easing. That's inevitable. It's going to turn crisis monetary policy into, I don't know, emergency monetary policy. A little less loose doesn't mean tight. Interest rates aren't about to go up. QE isn't ending, even if we get a taper. It might slow down, maybe, but it's clear the Fed doesn't want to do it. And, you know, there's a good argument that it can't do it in this economic environment. I'll post an article in the show notes page that kind of points out why the current economic environment could not sustain a taper. But, you know, it's really, it should have started tightening a long time ago. I mean, they shouldn't have launched this monetary boondoggle to begin with, really. But having been done, tightening should have started months ago. You know, you have to ask yourself, why does the economy still need QE at the same level it had at the peak of the pandemic when the economy was literally shut down? I'll tell you why. Because it's the only thing propping this rickety house up. So that brings me to Jay Powell's speech at the Jackson Hole Summit last Friday. So pretty much everybody expected Powell would use the moment to unveil his plan to begin QE taper. Leading up to the speech, several Fed presidents actually expressed their preference for a fall taper. So, you know, we're talking, what, in the next month or two. The expectation was that Powell would echo those sentiments and maybe even put some teeth into them by clarifying exactly what a taper would entail and maybe, you know, putting a timeline on it. I mean, we don't even know what we're talking about. They've just hinted that asset purchases should slow. What are we talking about? I mean, are they going to buy $110 billion a month instead of 120 How long will the first taper go on before the Fed cuts asset purchases farther? And how long will it take to wind QE down completely? I mean, that's a huge question because the Fed's pretty much said they're not going to even talk about raising interest rates until QE is over. Nobody has a clue about any of this. All we know is that the Fed might taper soon-ish, and given this jobs report, it might not. You know, it's really pretty crazy how the markets move on mere speculation, utterly devoid of even hypothetical details. Anyway, as I said, it's important to keep in mind that even as all of these central bankers are hinting at tapering, there has been no tapering. The Fed has continued to monetize around $120 billion in debt every single month. So it's a lot of blah, 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 and no actual tightening. So what did Powell actually say during his speech? Well, pretty much nothing. He never even uttered the word taper. There was one line in the entire speech that referenced QE, and that was simply uh, that a reduction in asset purchases sometime this year might be appropriate. Yeah, and I might run five miles today, but I probably won't. You know, as my wife always says, a might is a bug on a bird's ass. So here's the thing. If the plan was to taper, Powell had every opportunity to clarify those intentions, to give us a plan. He did no such thing. So I think it's pretty obvious that the Fed does not want to taper. These guys want to stretch this out as long as they possibly can. They want to keep the money flowing because they know darn good and well when they do taper, it's going to kick the economy in the gut. 
So what did Powell talk about in his speech? Well, he spent most of it trying to convince us that, yes, indeed, inflation is transitory. So same song and dance. This, again, leads me to believe he really, really, really wants inflation to be transitory so he can keep the money spigots running. He knows there's a lot more debt to monetize. He knows his central bank has juiced the stock market and the housing market. Powell does not want to be the killjoy who ends the party. So gold rallied after the speech. We've been above $1,800 all week. Um, I, I imagine we'll probably stay there after the jobs report. You know who's not buying the transitory inflation narrative? The Germans. Of course, you know, the ECB is also kicking around the uh, taper ball. And while most American investors have faith that the Federal Reserve can and will successfully tighten monetary policy to fight inflation if necessary, or they have simply bought into the inflation is transitory narrative, Germans are loading up on gold as a hedge against growing inflationary pressures. Through the first half of the year, gold coin and gold bar demand in Germany hit the highest level since 2009, which of course was the aftermath of the 08 financial crisis. Ralph Scherer serves as the managing director at a German company. He told Bloomberg that gold sales are up 25% on what was already a strong 2020. He said, quote, we have a long history of inflation fear in our DNA. Now the inflation risk is picking up. The outlook for precious metals is very positive. You know, given Germany's experience with hyperinflation during the uh, Weimar Republic, it comes as no surprise that Germans are wary of inflation. So, you know, just a little food for thought. You know, talking about inflation, I think a lot of people view it as this nebulous, abstract economic concept that politicians and investors and economic nerds like me talk about. It's, it's this abstract thing. And I'm not certain a lot of people really connect all of these inflation numbers to real life. But inflation is a thing. It's not just some economic number to bandy about. It has real impact on real people. I mean, ultimately, what we're talking about here is rising prices. You know, there's monetary policy behind it, and, and we all know that actually inflation is an increase in the money supply. But ultimately, what we're talking about here is rising prices. So consider this. Personal income is rising right now, but inflation is eating it up. Before factoring in inflation, personal income from all sources rose by 2.7% in July. That's year on year. The month-on-month gain was a solid 1.1%. So this includes wages, stimulus payments, transfer payments like unemployment, social security benefits, and also income from other sources such as interest, dividends, rental income. So sounds great, right? The economy is recovering. Income is rising. But after factoring in rising prices, real personal income fell by 1.4% from a year ago despite uh, a modest increase from June to July. In other words, you're getting a bigger paycheck than you were last year. I'm sure that makes you feel good, but you can't buy as much with that bigger paycheck as you could with your smaller paycheck a year ago. You can see the same phenomenon in the consumer spending numbers. Americans spent more in July. Consumer spending was up 0.3% on a month-to-month seasonally adjusted uh, rate. But if you factor in inflation, Consumer spending actually fell 0.1%. So inflation accounted for all of the increase in consumer spending and then some. In other words, you're spending more money and getting less. 
You know, no wonder consumer confidence plunged to a six-month low in August, according to an uh, analyst quoted by Reuters, quote, a resurgence of COVID-19 and inflation concerns have dampened confidence. There's another interesting thing going on. Americans have also shifted their spending from goods to services. Real spending on durable goods fell 2.6% in July. Real spending on services rose rose 0.6% month on month uh, and was up 7.6% year on year. Now, despite this big jump, spending on services is really still 3.1% below pre-pandemic level. So you would expect to see some more improvement in the services sectors. Now, according to Wall Street, this shift in spending from goods to services does not bode well for the future trajectory of inflation. Quote, the continued sharp increase in spending and services after they'd gotten hammered last year points at the next source of inflation pressures. Services dominate consumer spending, unlike durable goods such as used vehicles, sofas, or electronics, and they weigh much more in the inflation indices. And as prices of services begin to rise, they will impact overall inflation and core inflation measures much more than durable goods. So durable goods really drove things during the first rounds of stimulus. People took that money and they bought stuff. Now people are buying service. I don't know what they're buying it with. I guess they're inflated paychecks and their credit cards. Uh, But regardless, what we're seeing could bode very bad for uh, the the transitory inflation narrative. And but again, don't worry. Powell says inflation is going to be transitory. Say it with me. Transitory. You have to say it over and over again. Like if you do it like a chant, transitory, transitory. The more you say it, the more you'll believe it. And if you don't believe it, well, are you ready? That's always the question. And if you aren't ready, or if you don't know if you're ready, I highly recommend talking to a shift gold precious metals specialist. You can do that today. Just call 1-888-GOLD-160 or shoot them an email, info at shiftgold.com. I think you're going to see gold rally in the next few days with the jobs numbers. I could be wrong, but probably. And uh, so, yeah, give them a call. Shoot them an email. These guys are great. They're going to look at your personal goals, your portfolio, what you're wanting to do with your investing, and they're going to help you see how precious metals can fit into your portfolio. So do that today. So with that, we're going to call this a gold wrap for the week. You can get more details on all of these stories and much more. Keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shiftgold.com news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap at iTunes. On Stitcher, we're on the Shipgold YouTube channel. You'll find links to this stuff on the show notes page. I thank you very much for listening to the show. I hope you have a great Labor Day weekend. Do something fun. Hope you have a day off. And uh, I'll talk to you next week.